This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. For our study time today, we are looking at the Acts passage, Acts 5, 27 through 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you here have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, looking at this, verse 27 and 28 are a repeat of a scene from Acts chapter 4 because the Sanhedrin had them before them before in Acts chapter 4 and told them, you can't teach in the name of that name. And this is interesting because, one, they did this to try to intimidate the apostles by showing their formal organization and giving the threat, the formality of coming from the highest officials in Israel except for Pilate, and they were attempting to shut them up, basically. Now, one of the things you might notice in verse 28 and verse 20, still in verse 28, in two places, this name and this man. See, the Sanhedrin, the Jews, hated Jesus so badly that they refused to even use his name. Because if they gave, if they said his name, they would be giving dignity to the name of Jesus, which he already has that with his name anyway, but they would be dignifying it by calling him by name, which is unique because Think about it in everyday terms. If someone were to call you and say, well, I'm giving this purely hypothetically. Hey, fatty, come here. Or if they were talking to me, hey, baldy, come here. That's not very dignified, is it? You're basically calling them fat and bald which is an insult, rather than calling them by their name and say, hey, Yasue, hey, Father Mike, I need to talk to you. That gives dignity. And they didn't want to do that because, again, they hated Jesus so badly they had no intention of trying to give the Lord his proper due by saying his name. Okay? Now, then they say, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. 
in a way, that's a backhanded compliment. So how, you may ask? Well, first of all, they're saying that the apostles' ministry has been successful. They've been able to fill the city with the teaching of the gospel. So my guess is that the Sanhedrin was probably kind of aggravated by that fact, but they said, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And that's also a credit to the power of the gospel itself. The gospel itself is powerful enough to penetrate even the darkest doors through the thickest walls or through the hardest of heads. The gospel does that because the mere power of God working in someone's life, and when you talk about that and the redemptive power the gospel has, you're speaking some profoundly important and incredible miraculous stuff. And they had filled Jerusalem with this doctrine and this teaching. And so that means the apostles' preaching had not been in vain. Because by this time, the scriptures tell us about this time, there were about 5,000 men plus their families. On the day of Pentecost, a few chapters before, there were 3,000 people that were converted that first day. But this a few weeks later. And now there's 5,000. So the gospel is multiplying. That's the power of the word of God. So whenever you're talking to somebody, whether they believe the Bible or not, don't hesitate to quote scripture. Because the scripture is powerful enough to get the job done. Once you get the seed in there, your responsibility is done. Keep that in mind, everyone. Our job is not to convert people. It's to preach the gospel, give them the message, and then let the Holy Spirit do his job. And he is amazingly good at what he does. That's the reason all over the world, still, regardless of what statisticians keep trying to tell us, there are more Christians in the world than there are adherents of any of the other religions. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the message. Then they say, you are determined or intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Interesting thought. Because in Matthew 27, those same people are saying, let his blood be upon us and on our children. So now they're saying, you're intent on trying to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, isn't that kind of what they said they wanted? They wouldn't admit it, but that's what they said they wanted. The high priest had forgotten the doom that he had pronounced on himself. Because when you pronounce a curse on yourself, you, you've done the unthinkable. You've actually said something that you actually want to happen, have happen to you. They were actually trying to reject the curse they had pronounced on themselves. But they weren't saying, oh, I take that back. They were trying to nullify it, which is different. When we say something we wish we hadn't, we said, oh, I take that back. That's sort of a backhanded apology, but it's not the same thing. So, then the apostles say, we must obey God rather than men. Now, think about this. They are trying to say that 
they feel like they have a duty to obey God rather than human authority. Now that brings us to a question. In Romans 13 and in 1 Peter, both of those apostles say, submit yourself to the governing authorities. So that presents us with something of a challenge, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, we're told to obey the legitimate authority that's over us. Like we're supposed to follow the laws, and despite the fact that most of us don't like to do it, we have to file our income tax return every year. Or we have to obey the speed limit. <clears throat> or we have to, you know, just follow all the rules. But here Peter and John and the other apostles say, we have to obey God rather than men. And see, that, or submission to human authority and the government, stops when the government is telling you to do something that is exactly contrary or the exact opposite of what our faith requires. In other words, if the National Congress in Washington or if the state legislature in Boston were to pass a law saying, you may not proselytize and share the gospel with anyone, we would have to do the same thing. We'd have to say we have to obey God rather than men. Because all through the New Testament, we're told, preach the gospel, share the gospel, witness, be faithful witnesses, be faithful witnesses. Peter even says it, with humility and great respect, tell the people why you have the hope that is in you. So we're told to witness whether the government says so or not. So when the government tells us to do something that is against our faith, we go with the faith. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, that doesn't mean there might not be some consequences for that. You know, at one point, some point, maybe we might end up in jail because of it. Well, Peter and John had already been in jail twice by this time. An angel let them out, and it frustrated the Sanhedrin so much. Because here in Acts chapter 5, when they sent the guards to go get them, they say, uh, they're not in the prison. And then some other witnesses come running and say, hey, those guys you locked up last night, they're in the temple this morning, and they're preaching and teaching the people. And the Sanhedrin probably goes, ay, ay, ay. There's nothing we can do to stop these guys. But that's a good thing. There's nothing anyone can do to stop the message of the gospel going about and doing its work. Okay, so. Then Peter says, the God of our fathers. He's introducing the folks to the fact that they're just following the custom. They're doing what the... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob told them to do. Now then, the apostles' response here about we must obey God rather than men, we also have to keep in mind that it is not a defense of their actions. It is not a plea for mercy. It was a simple explanation of a course of action. They weren't asking for mercy. They weren't trying to get off the hook by saying, well, God told us to, they're saying, we're going to keep preaching. And there's nothing you can do that can stop us. Now, 
The testimony was faithful to the foundation of the faith. What they were talking about is that, and Peter spoke of, in this case, Peter spoke of man's guilt, Jesus whom you murdered, Jesus' death hanging on a tree, Jesus' resurrection, him God exalted to his right hand, and man's responsibility to respond to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So Peter covered the whole thing. He covered all the bases in terms of what the gospel is supposed to do. Now, why they said hanging on a tree? It's from Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. It says, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So Jesus took the curse of our sin upon himself and was crucified. And they used the term hanging on a tree because that's frequently how they referenced it in the New Testament. Paul wrote about that tree so many times. But that's what happened. Now, God exalted him. And that is a profound statement. Because, if I can find it, I have a quote from Spurgeon about that. Okay. Spurgeon's quote escaped. He says, it is delightful to reflect how close is Christ's union with his people. God has exalted him. We are actually one with him. We are members of his body and his exaltation is our exaltation. He will give us to sit upon his throne even as he has overcome and is set down with his father on his throne. He has a crown and he gives us crowns too. He has a throne, but he is not content with having a throne to himself. On his right hand, there must be his queen arrayed in gold of Ophir. The queen is the church. That's us, by the way. He cannot be glorified without his bride. Look up, believer, to Jesus now. Let the eye of your faith behold him with many crowns upon his head. And remember that you will one day be like him. When you shall see him as he is, you shall not be so great as he is. You shall not be so divine, but still you shall in a measure share the same honors and enjoy the same happiness and the same dignity which he possesses. Be content to live unknown for a little while and to walk your weary way through the fields of poverty or up the hills of affliction. For by and by you shall reign with Christ. For he has made us kings and priests unto God, and we shall reign forever and ever. Oh, wonderful thought for the children of God. We have Christ for our glorious representative in heaven's courts now. And soon he will come and receive us to himself to be with him there, to behold his glory and to share his joy. I can deal with that because that means we're going to be glorified, justified, sanctified, and we will one day be glorified. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. 
If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your power for living.